Good morning and welcome to Rock Hills. Would you all pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity when we can gather together, even if we're in our homes, but we can gather together with your spirit that unifies us. So Lord, today, whatever we're facing, whatever we're going through, however we may be feeling, Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to us today. Lord, we welcome you into our homes, into our families, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to welcome you all to Rock Hills today. Thank you for tuning in and joining us online. If you're new to Rock Hills, we certainly want to welcome you, and uh, we would love to answer any questions that you may have about Rock Hills. The easiest way to find out about us is on our website, rockhills.com, and on the website, there's an I'm New tab that will help you connect with us so that we can answer any questions that you may have. If you're one of the regulars around here, you can also find a giving tab there so that you continue to worship God with your giving, as well as on that website, we'll have updated information as it continues to change from week to week, uh, how we're going to be able to gather together and when we're going to be able to do that. But we want to assure you of this, whether it's online, in person, or both, we're going to continue to seek God. We're going to continue to seek how we can love God and love others, help people to find and follow Jesus to the very best of our abilities. I want to let you know about one way that we want to do that. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be collecting non-perishable food items up here at our Starcrest facility, 12475 Starcrest. Our offices are in Suite 102. If you want to bring by non-perishable foods during the week, you're welcome to do that. Or if you would like to bring them by next Thursday, this coming Thursday, between 7 and 8 p.m., you can drop them off to me up here at the church. We will collect those and uh, we will take them to a local nonprofit and give them to them. We're just trying to figure out creative ways where we can have low contact but still make a difference in our community. So we would love for you to be a part if you could do that because this has just been a crazy year, hasn't it? I mean, I was just thinking back the other day to January. Do you guys remember that? When 2020 started, it was like we turned this major corner. We stepped into a new decade in 2020, and we were celebrating, and there was sports, and the kids went to schools, and we went out to restaurants and had dinner together, and then all of a sudden, it's like 2020 took a sharp turn and just went down into a deep dark hole. And it's like the hole just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And all of us are kind of hoping that pretty soon we're going to see the light. The light is coming. We're almost to the end of this tunnel, but it feels like we just keep going deeper and deeper. We're looking at the life of David, and that is where he is going to find himself this week in a cave, in a dark and lonely cave. Now, caves don't necessarily sound that bad. I mean, right now, getting away on a little vacation sounds pretty good. And actually, my family and I, we get away to the mountains in West Texas every August. We go to a camp up there that has been meeting for the last 130 years except for 2020. It's not going to be meeting this year. But at this camp in the mountains... Everybody who goes knows about 
the bat cave. Because as soon as you're old enough to climb a mountain, part of your rite of passage is to go through the bat cave. So I brought a picture of it uh, with us here today. Uh, if you could put that picture up for me. Oh, wait a minute. That, that is not the right bat cave. If you could put up uh, the other bat cave from West Texas, that would be awesome. All right, here it is. It's not a cave necessarily like you would imagine. It's these huge boulders, and there's a void in between the boulders. And if you go down into the darkness, you get to go through the cave. I think we have an, another picture here of going into the cave. And at first, it seems kind of cool because, you know, you're going in between these huge boulders, and it's kind of adventurous as you go down. But then it gets darker, and it gets smaller, and it gets tighter. And I've gone through as an adult, and I ask myself, why in the world am I doing this? Because there's a point in the cave, there's a little place called the Devil's Slide. And when you see this, it looks like a tiny little hole made out of rock, and you're thinking, there's no way that I can fit through there. But sure enough, if you lay on your back, you can slide right through. But there are places in that cave that just seem like they're going to be impossible to get through. But even as a young child, I didn't really have fear. And even if I go through, and the reason I don't have adults, I'm thinking, oh, why did I do this again? But I don't have fear. And the reason I don't have fear in going into that cave is because I know all the people who have gone before me and come out the other side successfully. Many times in life, we can't see the next step. And the next step seems overly intimidating and overwhelming to us. But the good news is we serve a Savior that's already gone before us and conquered the death and the darkness that we may be facing. I've invited some very special friends to help me out today. We've been looking at the life of David, who is a remarkable young man. The Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And I've discovered, and as we will see in the scripture today, God will put people in your path, in your journey, that are going to help you along that journey. And I want to introduce to you today two young men who are some of the most awesome young men I know, who are young men with a heart after God's own heart. They're Rock Hill's own young men. Today, we're going to hear from Johnny Young and Manny Hernandez. And just as we see, David raises up a generation who leads us into what God has next. I have full confidence in what God is going to do in the next generation because of young men like these. So now with the magic of technology, I give you Mr. Johnny Young. Hey, so yeah, last week Adam had left us off in a situation where we see the Israelites' very existence and the even annihilation of them was put at risk. And so you can only imagine just the fear that all of the soldiers and just all the Israelites must have had in this time where they think, is this it? Is this the end of God's people? Is this what it comes to? As they watch this shepherd boy with no armor and not even a sword walk down into the dusty valley to meet the giant Goliath. But whenever they feel all this helplessness and hopelessness, as you remember, um, David, God works through David, 
and he kills Goliath with that good swing, and then he takes off his head with his sword. And so what I'm going to be talking about is kind of the uprise of David in those first two months, and then just kind of what goes on from there. And so when all that happens, whenever David kills Goliath, it's just wow. Just this rush of just unbelief from both sides, the Israelites and the people of Gath. And it's just incredible. And we just see this, this big, um, everyone like congratulating David and just seeing him so highly as a hero. And everyone praising the work that God did through David in this time. And so you can only imagine that pressure that the very existence of the people relied on such an underdog and he actually came up and won. And a good way to kind of think of this is say it's the, the NBA playoffs and it's, I don't know, Spurs versus Golden State last round and there's, I don't know, we're down by two, two seconds left and Patty Mills shoots a three and then it goes in, buzzers going off, the crowd's going crazy and then just an uproar of just people going crazy and congratulating and saying that Patty Mills won this for us. He won the championship in the finals for us. And so there's probably a big uh, celebration going on in uh, the Riverwalk and all over San Antonio and in that stadium. And we can't even fathom what that must have been like for David in this time, where it was on a much bigger scale of like 10,000 times. And so imagining all that pressure of people just wanting to congratulate and just praise and just be so thankful for this one kid and the work that God did for them. And just imagining that on such a big scale, it's, it must be a lot on David, and it happens so quickly. And so very quickly, for the two months, we see just this uprise of David, this hero everyone's talking about, everyone knows him. And then there's one Israelite, though, that you might know that isn't thinking the same uh, about David on like his successes or anything like that. And that's actually King Saul. And now King Saul is sitting there, and he's just hearing over and over again the praises of people singing that Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. And Saul's thinking, like, wait, hold on. That's me. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that God anointed, the guy that is the king of uh, Israel and God's people. That's me. I'm the guy. And so as, uh, as David's playing his lyre, as he always does for uh, King Saul, let's see how Saul reacts to this uh, feeling of jealousy and insecurities. It says in 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 18, verse 10 through 12, it says, The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And so this is interesting because we see that David was just following God's plan for him. David was just staying faithful to whatever God had him doing. And then all of a sudden we see the king of Israel, the very nation that David had saved, is trying to kill him and is continuously trying to pursue to kill him. And then we see this go on for years. So David had that quick two months of just praise to him and just all of a sudden a downward spiral. And we even see that Saul puts David on the front lines of uh, battle where that's where all the death happens. But God working through David, David continues to survive and he, keep, he continues to keep on running and keep on trying to survive all the, perse- the persecution that King Saul is trying to put onto David. And so all of a sudden, you know, he must be feeling confused and afraid and alone for just years of this constantly. And so let's see what David actually turns to 
in this time as his last resort. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now hold on, is that the same, uh, is that the same Achish, king of Gath? Is that the same Gath that we were talking about before? Where it's just gloomy, dirty, smelly, that kingdom that the, king, the giant Goliath is from? And isn't that the same place that David had left them in despair? Because you got to see it from two sides of the spectrum. Whenever um, David killed Goliath, I mean, like, praise be awesome to the Israelites, you know. We won, we're safe. But you got to think that in Gath, it was like a horrible place before, but you can only imagine what it was left as for those upcoming years. And, I mean, they probably hated David. They probably had signs that said, you know, wanted poster for David. Like, they probably really hated this guy. And they are probably thinking, he'll never come here, though. But here we are. We see this shepherd boy comes to Gath for refuge after being away from, running from King Saul. And, uh, and then, if you don't even think that's rock bottom enough, what David ends up doing is he pretends to be insane just to survive the persecution from Gath onto him. And so we see just such an uprise for two months for David to where it's just the lowest of lows that you can imagine. And he doesn't know why. All he's doing is following God and staying faithful. But he sees this spiral down to where he's in Gath, the last place imaginable, and he's pretending to be insane just to save his life. And so this seems like a very confusing and frustrating, lonely time for him. But I know it's not on the same scale, but I can kind of relate to David in this time. Um, My freshman year going into college, you know, I had my two months of fame, just like David, where I was going in and I was feeling good. I was like, I have a two and a half year relationship with this girl that's going to this college. It's going to be great. I'm going to try out for track. I'm going to be, you know, getting a scholarship, be that guy. And I'm such a people person. I'll make so many friends. It's going to be a great time. But very quickly, I saw that same downturn that lasted for a long time for me, where just the relationship fell apart. I missed the track tryouts, and I put all my time and focus into both of those things that I was just left alone. And like David and Gath, I was sitting in my dorm just afraid and alone, just like him wondering how I got to this. But through both David and I, we still stayed faithful to God, and God placed people in our lives to bring us back onto um, our plan and our path with God. And that's what Manny's going to talk to you about. So what did this mean for us? What did this mean for David? I mean, what does this mean for Johnny when he feels so low in a place where nothing went right? I mean, not many of us have experienced being chased down by the king of Israel who has all the resources to get to us like David had with Saul. But the thing that we see through all of this is that God was placing people in David's corner. This king, jealous for all the attention that he talked about, David killed the 10,000s, Saul only the 1,000s, wanted David, but still God was present for him. In the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 19, it describes this moment where Saul is talking to his son Jonathan, and he tells him, like, hey, I want you and my servants to go and kill David. But the problem was, was that Jonathan was David's best friend. As it says in the previous passage, Jonathan loved David as himself, and their souls were tied together. So this must have been a really conflicting moment for Jonathan where his father, the king of Israel, who has all the power, is telling him, go kill your best friend. Like, that's what I'm telling you to do right now. But just like that, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 2, Jonathan warns him by saying, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. 
Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. So we see that Jonathan, instead of doing what his father actually tells him to do, the king, he goes and tells David, hey, my dad wants to kill you. You need to go into hiding. He warns him about what's coming to him. And even though this warning happened, again, Saul's still after him. It doesn't end just after that. In 1 Samuel 19.11, it says this, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tomorrow, tomorrow you'll be killed. So the same thing happens again. Saul's after David, and he gets another warning, this time from his wife, Michal. And the thing is, is Michal is also Saul's daughter that was given to him. But he's warned, and she also covers for him. So when the guards get there, they ask for David, but he's no longer there. He already escaped through the back window. And then, again, David's on the run still. He's still running from Saul, this king who has all the resources. And one day, him and Jonathan are in a field, and they're talking, and they just come to this agreement that, man, David, I love you. I don't want bad things to happen to you. You're my best friend. Like, if my dad is truly after your life, he's going to get to you. So the best thing for you to do is to leave. So it was in this moment where he was like, I'm going to go find out from my dad at this feast if he wants to kill you. If not, I'll come back to you in a couple days and tell you, hey, you're fine to come back. But if not, you really need to leave and escape. So in 1 Samuel chapter 20, 42, it says, Jonathan said to David, oh, sorry about that, a little ahead. But what happened was, is that feast came, and Jonathan is sitting with his father, and his father realizes, oh, where's David? And he tells him, oh, he's in Bethlehem. And he was upset, he was angry, he was fierce, he was ready to go and kill him. So Jonathan realizes this, and he's just sad, he's down. He knows that he has to go tell his best friend to leave. So that's what happened. He goes and meets him in the field in those couple of days, and he tells him, man, David, it's time. So in 1 Samuel chapter 20, it says, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is a witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. And this must have been tough. Like I've said before, they're the bestest of friends. They're souls together. It also talks about them weeping together, crying heavily just because of this moment, knowing that I might never see my best friend again, but this is what has to happen in order for him to live. So this is what must be done. And so after this, his escape, David goes to Nob. And then like Johnny talked about, he goes to Gath. And just like he said, Gath is not the best place to be. Just a couple years earlier, he had just killed Goliath, their greatest warrior. They thought he'd never be conquered, but he did. So where does this leave David? He's scared in Gath and doesn't know what to do. So David eventually, after he pretends he's crazy, he escapes to the cave of Adullam, where he's joined by his family and then also other rejects by the king, Akish. Whether it was they had debts they couldn't pay or they were just people who were in distress altogether. And there was about 400 people there with him in the cave. And David is going to be their commander. He's going to be their leader through this time. So we saw David 
be warned by two different people, his best friend and his wife. So this morning, I'm not sure where you find yourself, whether it's this dark cave where you don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, obviously, it's this season of corona and this doubt, and we can't really see an end to this. I mean, I know for me personally, I thought, okay, in June, this is going to be better. Like, it's just a disease. Like, hopefully, we'll get better to it. We're going to put restrictions. And for whatever reason God has, um, it's still going on. And we really don't have or can see an end. But you might be on the other side of this, and you might say, well, this is starting to become normal to me. This is starting to seem like the day-to-day, what's going to happen for the next six months, and it might not be so bad. But what we can see through all this in David's life is that God put people there for a reason. And God's going to put people there in your corner when things aren't looking too good, when we've been stuck at home for the past four months and we haven't had human interaction. God is going to put people there to help you live out that purpose that he has for you and not necessarily what we wanted, like I wanted this to be over in June. But that hasn't quite happened yet. So there also might be other people in that cave where you're at that you wouldn't have expected to help you, like David's family. I mean, you have to think, in the before, when Samuel went to their town, David wasn't even there to meet him. And Samuel was the most famous person you could even think of at the time. But he was in the field tending to the sheep. They didn't think David needed to be there with Samuel. They definitely knew that David wasn't going to be the one anointed because he wasn't anything special. And that's the people that are in there with, in that cave with him at the moment. So we really don't know who is going to be there. It might be that family that casted us out or friends that we're no longer friends with that they may have wronged us or something might have happened. But God is going to put people in our lives to help us. So what we can really take away from this is to just be present and pray that God's going to put people in our lives for the greater purpose that he has for us. Thank you, Johnny and Manny. Great job. This this section of David's life really took him to unbelievable heights where it seemed like everything that he touched turned to gold. Everybody loved him. Everybody cheered for him. And then in a moment, it all seems to fall apart and he's running for his life. He's literally looking over his shoulder everywhere he goes to see who's after him, only to find out later that he's got people in his corner, people who love him and support him. The funny thing about this in studying this section of scripture, these highs for David probably lasted about two months. The lows for David lasted for at least the next seven years as he's running for his life, as he's living in caves, as he's having to pretend to be mentally insane just to survive. It lasted a long, dark time. Most of the Psalms that we read where David is praising the Lord and asking for God's help were written in these ugly seven years. You see, what seemed like the sky caving in actually was preparing David to become the king of Israel. The nobodies that seemed to fill that cave, 400 people in a cave, can you imagine? All these nobodies gathered together soon would become what we'll see in 2 Samuel, 
David's mighty men who will lead the nation of Israel into their destiny at that time. You see, from out of this cave in this darkness, God's purpose emerged. Now, I know 2020 has been dark and ugly and frustrating in so many ways that we can't even list them all. But I want to encourage you today that out of the midst of this darkness and ugliness where we can't even see the end of the tunnel yet, God has a purpose because He is preparing something in you for what He wants to do in and through you in the new season that lies ahead. He's preparing something in Rock Hills Church for who Rock Hills Church is going to be for the next decade to come. So ask God this week. God, what is it that you're doing in my life? What are you trying to develop in me? And God, would you show me the people in my life that you have put in my life at this time to make a difference in me? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, that you promise us you never leave us and you never forsake us. You didn't leave David in that cave. You didn't leave him when he was running for his life. And Lord, you don't leave us in the midst of 2020 when things are frustrating, Father, when things seem hopeless, when the economy is bad, when relationships are hard, when it's frustrating not to be able to gather together, Lord, you don't leave us. As a matter of fact, you unite us. So God, would you bring us together in the midst of this virtual cave that we're in? And God, would you prepare us for what you have ahead for us. For some of you today, that just needs to begin with getting your life right. Maybe you just need to pray a simple prayer like this with me. Would you pray with me if you need a fresh start with God? Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me and make me new as a new creation in Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus that I could be yours, adopted as your child that I am a new creation in you. Father, as the days continue, as we continue going through this tunnel, Father, I thank you that there are many who have gone before us and there is light ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to gather together with you again next week. God bless.